Well, good morning. It's a delight to see everyone here this morning. Truly a joy and a pleasure. And before we start, I have a deliciously fun question to ask you all. Who here loves to eat fruit? Anyone here love to eat fruit? Oh, yeah. Nature's candy, right? Everyone here loves to eat fruit. Uh, Cora, what's, what's a fruit that you like to eat? Strawberries. Strawberries are very good. Put some sugar on them, maybe on some. Cheesecake, delicious. Uh, Jonathan? Bananas. I go bananas for bananas, right? Uh, one more. Parker, what do you like to eat? Mangoes. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah, fruit is great. Uh, in, in order to grow fruit, the climate has to be right. Right? There has to be the right sunlight, there has to be enough water, there has to be good soil, and lastly, there has to be the right seed. And when all these components come together and work in unison, then we get to bask in that delicious fruit that we enjoy. See, I like grapes, I enjoy grapes, and grapes need to have a certain climate, just like all the other fruit that we talked about, right? The, the climate has to be somewhere around 59 and 104 degrees temperature. Uh, there needs to be slight humidity and well-draining soil. Uh, I believe Cora said strawberries. Uh, strawberries need deep soil in order for them to grow. And there needs to be constant moisture in the ground. And so these are just some examples of fruit and some of the requirements needed in order for them to produce uh, good lasting production. And see, we too as people and as Christians and as believers have to have certain requirements in order for us to grow as well. First thing is, is we need the right seed. See, if we wanted watermelons, it would be a waste of our time to plant apple seeds or pepper seeds. We're not going to get watermelons. It's just not the right seed. It's not going to produce what was intended. And it's the same thing for us. If we want to grow spiritually, we cannot plant seeds of the flesh. We're going to get something completely different than what was intended. And secondly, we need deep soil. We need our hearts to be deep in order that that seed, that seed that's going to come in us will germinate and that the roots will grow and be firm. That's what we need. We need that seed to be protected because we have an enemy, an enemy that is always lurking, always seeking to devour, and always wanting to destroy. He's always looking to get us to stumble because he doesn't want people to live in hope. Satan doesn't want people to have hope. Satan doesn't want the gospel and the seed to flourish in people's hearts. That's not what he wants. Satan wants us to live in darkness and to remain children of wrath. But see, while Satan is out roaming and lurking and seeking to devour, Christ, our precious Father, says to abide in my love. That's what he says. And the best way to abide with Christ is to be in his word, to be in the Bible. That's the best way that we're going to be able to abide with him. Is there something in your life that takes precedence over your Bible? Is there something for you children out there? Are you in your Bibles? Are you reading? Or are you more into social media, Netflix, video games? Do we spend hours on our phone just screening, scrolling, just doing this with our fingers? Yeah, we're getting really good with our fingers and our wrists. We're scrolling hours and hours and hours. Or are we page turners to God's inspired words? 
See, this morning I want us to truly examine our hearts today. The condition of our heart towards Jesus Christ and the gospel and his word, the seed. I want us to examine where we sit because it all starts from the seed. It all begins from the word of God. It all starts there. And before we can sow the seed to others, the word has to be deeply planted in our hearts. It has to be firmly rooted in our hearts in order for us to go out and spread the message. Now, I ask these questions about fruit and soil because this morning we're going to be looking at a parable, at an illustration that Jesus Christ uses uh, to bring about the heart conditions of others towards the word of God. Now, it's the parable of the sower and the seed. Now, many of us may know this parable. We may be familiar with this parable. Okay, I'm sure we've heard it before. But it's really important for us to examine our hearts. And while this parable could easily be used as a a means or as a tool for evangelism and and to sit there and say, when you talk about the word of God, this is how others are going to reflect to that, I I, want to do something different with it. Instead of evangelizing, I want us again to examine our hearts. Let's evangelize to ourselves a little bit. Where does the gospel sit in our heart? How deep is it? Is it firmly planted in us? Do we trust it? Do we have confidence in it? This is the main question I have for us this morning. What is the depth of soil in our hearts for God's word? Are we zealous? And are we still in awe over the gospel? From from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, are we still in awe over what he's done and what he's promised? Or have we become beaten down and hard towards it? Is our faith towards God's word strong? Or do we deviate? Once the troubles hit? And is the gospel deeply rooted in our hearts? Or do we become distracted by pleasures and riches? Again, what is the depth of our soil for the word? Now, John, uh, Jesus says in John 15, 5, he says that I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Do you believe that? Nothing. We are branches that are just branching out from the main source, the vine. And it's the vine, if we abide with him, that's going to produce long-lasting fruit. If we're not connected to that vine, we can't produce. We can do nothing. Some people like to think, well, you know, I can accomplish if I just got that job. If I just got that promotion. I can accomplish. If I just got that raise, I can do it. Maybe if I was older, I could do it. Maybe if I was younger, I can do it. Maybe if I didn't have this disability, I could do it. No, you can't. You need to abide and stay close and connected with our Savior. It comes from his word, the seed. So again, while others look to society for their words, for the world's corruptible words, we look to God's word to be the seed that produces long-lasting fruit production. So this morning, I want us to abide with Christ. Let's all come together with our hearts open and receptive so we can abide with him. Let's take time to study this parable, even if we've heard it before, even if it's familiar to us and we know it. It, can, it, it concerns our heart. This is a heart condition thing here. And the Lord seeks out our hearts. It's important for us that our hearts are tilled. It's important for us that we are receptive to God's word, 
because this world will so easily come and distract us. So again, let's come together so we can be rooted with Christ. This morning's message is simply entitled, Tilling the Soil of Our Hearts. And we're going to be examining the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. But I'll also be making references to Luke and to Mark, as this parable can also be found in there. And it'll help us to get a little bit of a different perspective as well. So if you haven't already, I would encourage you to open up your Bibles or your electronic devices. Those of you that are following online, please follow with us. Open your hearts as well. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be going at verses 1 through 9. So verse 1 reads, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up. And since they had no depths of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just ask that you would bow your head and pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we come before you, uh, believers. Father, we just pray that uh, you would work in our hearts, that you would stir in us. Lord, I pray that you would... uh, Establish my words, that these would be your words that come out of my mouth, Father. Help me to be clear, help us to be receptive, and help us to have ears to hear. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to move to our first point. Our first point is going to be the explanation. Now, in the explanation, we're going to have some, some, some sub-points. We're going to be looking at uh, this day that Jesus had. We're going to be looking at what a parable is, why did Jesus speak of a parables, in parables, and we're going to be looking at the components that make up this parable. And so as we dive in, we see in verse 1, it reads, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And I want to focus on those three words real quick, that same day, that same day. Now, maybe some of us have come home, we've looked at our families, we've looked at our spouses, our friends, our roommates, whatever, and we said, man, you wouldn't believe the day that I had today. What a day. You couldn't believe what happened to me. And this is a day that Jesus had. And I don't want to get too lost in this and squirrel in a different direction. I need to stay the line. But I just thought it would be valuable for us to understand the day that Jesus had. Because this is the day that he speaks his parable. But before this, this was amazing things that happened. If we go back a chapter to Matthew chapter 12, this is where uh, the Pharisees come and they look at Jesus and they say, hey, you can't, you can't be eating right now. It's the Sabbath. You can't eat. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, hey, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus goes into a synagogue and he cures a man of a withered hand and he restores it. This is this day. This is the day as well that Jesus takes a demon-possessed man and he cures him. And he restores his sight. And he restores his ability to speak. This is this day. And it says this same day, Jesus leaves the house, goes out of the house, and he sits beside the sea. 
So Jesus has been extremely active in his earthly ministry. He's been moving around from town to town in different parts of the region, and he's explaining about the the coming kingdom. He's spreading the good news. And the masses were coming. The masses were gathering. They couldn't believe what they were hearing, and more importantly, they couldn't believe what they were seeing, the miracles that Jesus was performing. He He was curing them. He was healing them. They were all gathering around Jesus. Now, people were coming from all over again, to hear what he had to say. And some of the masses, they came with an open, honest desire to listen to him, to hear him, to hear his words. And others just came with a superficial desire to hear. They remained stiff-necked and hard-hearted. They didn't want to listen. And this is why Jesus spoke in parables. A parable is just simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's kind of the best way I can kind of describe that, the easiest way that i found to be able to explain. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus spoke this way to the masses because he didn't want the message to be up front and, and right there and clear. He meant it to be confusing because not everyone had ears to hear. Not everyone had an open heart to be able to understand the message and accept it. Jesus knew that the masses could be finicky. He knew that masses could be swayed very easily. So he spoke in parables. For those that came with a receptive and open heart, the message would be revealed. And to those who remained stubborn and hard-hearted, the message was concealed. It was a revealed, concealed message here. Now, by this crowd of not listening and being hard-hearted, Jesus says that the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled because these people's hearts have grown dull. They, their eyes remain closed, and their ears won't hear. They barely hear. See, Jesus wasn't concerned with the entire group of masses understanding what it was that he wanted to say. That wasn't his concern. However, he was concerned with his few, the few his disciples, that they understood what was being sent and what the message was. Because he knew, Jesus knew, that if you wanted to get the masses, you get the few. You teach the few. And the few will then go out unto the masses and explain and teach and guide. But as I mentioned earlier, not everyone had ears to hear. Not everyone wanted to hear about the coming message of the kingdom. And this still applies to us today. Today, there are still people out there who feel no need and have no desire to hear about the coming kingdom of Christ. When we sit there and we talk about eternal salvation, they still remain a little stiff-necked and hard-hearted. They just don't see the value in it. Maybe sometimes we go to someone and we say, hey, God bless you. And they give you this disgusting look like, what did you say to me? Or, hey, have a blessed day. God bless you. No, I don't believe in that made-up stuff. That's made up. It's fairy tale. See, they don't have ears to hear. Their heart is dull. They have no hope. It still applies. But for those with an open heart and with ears to hear, the message was received. And for us that are sitting here today, we understand about the coming kingdom. We understand this. The message has been revealed to us. 1 Corinthians 2.12 reads that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. 
And just two verses right before that, in 1 Corinthians 2.10, it reads that it's the Holy Spirit that searches everything, even the depths of God. So blessed are we that we have received this Spirit, not from the world, not the corruptible seed from the world, but we get it from God. And because we have this Spirit from God, we are enlightened. We are able to understand even the depths of God because the Holy Spirit's ministry is working in us Blessed are we that are sitting here. You have to understand this. You are blessed because of this. Prophets would love to have been able to see and hear what we are able to hear and see now. But like I said, not everyone listened. So let's go back to Jesus real quick. So on this particular day, he goes out of the house and a large mass follows him. So much so that he has to get onto a boat. And he speaks to them in parables. Now, Jesus begins this illustration using something that a majority of those masses would understand. He builds this parable using uh, agriculture and farming. Because while others had come from different parts of the region and held different job titles, most of them would have a very good understanding about growing crops. Because they had to. It was familiar to them. Now, for us, maybe we're not as familiar Maybe we're not uh, such a green thumb and we understand farming and we understand agriculture. Maybe to us, we're not that familiar with. But we should be familiar with our Bibles. We should have gone through the Gospels and we know this parable. That should be familiar to us. So, what are the components of this parable? In this parable, the sower that they're talking about here is Christ. It's Christ. The four different soils represent the four different heart conditions upon hearing the word, and the seed is the word of God. It's the gospel, and it's the message of the coming kingdom of Christ. These are the components of this parable. So with that, let's move to our second point, which is the illustration. We just explained the day. We explained uh, what a parable is. Uh, why Jesus spoke in parables, the components of the parable. So now let's dive in a little bit to the illustrations. And the first one that we're going to be looking at is the hard path or the wayside soil. See, Jesus begins by saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. See, the seed in this parable refers to the word of God. And we don't get that here in Matthew. This is where we're going to have to look to the other gospel, the gospel of Luke. And in Luke 8, 11, Luke explains really clearly that the seed is the word of God. That's what this is. And we need to take a moment right now to talk about this seed that fell out because it's really important. As I mentioned earlier in the introduction, having the right seed is extremely important for specific growth. Extremely important. There can be no harvest without a seed. And so if we want a strong harvest, a great harvest, much production, we need a seed that is going to produce sustaining fruit. That's what we need. We need a seed that's imperishable and incorruptible. A seed that's going to bring about fruit and a great harvest when the time is ready to come. And God gives us this seed. He gives it to us in his word. 1 Peter 1.23 reads, We who have believed have been born again, not of corruptible seed, what of incorruptible seed? Through the living word of God. 
It's his word, and it lives. And guess what? It's incorruptible. It's beautiful. And because so, we're born again. Blessed are we. I think you just need to say that in your head over and over and over. Blessed are we. Blessed am I for what I've received. So with this seed, it's, it's not us trying to get watermelons from apples. That's not what we're getting here when we get this message from God's word. It's not what we get. It's us growing in our faith and in our salvation because the word of God has been planted in our hearts. Christ's words are incorruptible and they're true. And his seed is the catalyst that's going to bring about transformation in people's lives because they'll start to believe. And to those who will take it and plant it deep in their hearts, they will flourish. So, a sower goes out to seed, or as the parable says, he goes out to speak the word of God. And the seed goes out and it falls on the hard path. The seed cannot be planted because the ground is hard. The seed cannot be taken in and buried deep in the heart because the heart is hard-hearted. It just sits there, right on top, right on the surface, right there. It doesn't get in. And these are the people who are like the, the man in Proverbs 1. I don't know if you know Proverbs 1. It would benefit you if you go back maybe after this message and look about it. The man in Proverbs 1, he ignored God's calling. He ignores the reproof. He ignores the counsel. He doesn't want to know anything about Christ. And maybe we know people like this. Maybe we know people when we speak to them about the coming kingdom of God. Again, that just sits on the surface. It doesn't sink in for them. Well, the message of the coming kingdom just sits on the surface of these hard hearts. And the soil is not accepting. So what happens? Will the birds come down and snatch them? Now, this is another component of the parable. Here, the birds are represented as the evil one. If you go into the Gospel of Luke, the birds are the devil. And in the Gospel of Mark, Mark refers to these birds as Satan. So here these birds are. They're flying, and they see the seed right there on the surface. Now, you've got to understand that our enemy is a roaming lion. He's seeking to destroy. It's not like these birds are flying up in the air, and they're like, oh, look at that, there's some seed. Hmm. I am kind of hungry. The seed would feel good in my belly. I think I'll just go down and I'll eat it. It's not what's happening. Our enemy is looking for this seed. And when it sees it, it comes. And it comes quickly to snatch it because it wants to destroy the growth of this seed in the hearts of believers. He doesn't want people to believe. He doesn't want the gospel flourishing in people's heart. The enemy wants everyone to lose hope. That's what he wants. He wants people to continue to live in idolatry and in strife and in sexual immorality and in drunkenness. He wants people to remain chasing the desires of the flesh and of this world and to stay children of wrath. That's what our enemy wants. This is his purpose, to destroy and to devour. And when the birds see this seed, the seed of the gospel and the word there, he comes and quickly tries to snatch it out. I would encourage us, if we know new believers, to support them to encourage them, to strengthen them because the devil will come and do whatever he can to try to lose them to lose hope or distract them. And guess what? If it doesn't work on you, he'll move to someone close to you. He'll attack another way. He'll always find a way to come try to get us to stumble. So, 
for us to ensure that God's word isn't just sitting on the surface, because remember, I want us to examine our hearts in order to make sure that it's just not there in the surface of our hearts. We need to be in our Bibles daily. Daily we need to be in here. It's not enough to just have it sitting in our table or on the counter or right next to our bed. Well, it's right there. I have it. It's there. Well, open it. Read some passages. Read another passage. Read a chapter. Read a whole book. Read the whole book from page to page, cover to cover. See how God's working. It would benefit us that we can get stronger and believe in this. Because you know what? It doesn't take long before this world uh, and its distractions and its distresses come and infiltrate our hearts. It doesn't take long before this world can trodden it down and make us hard towards the gospel. Anyone here ever had a large amount of stress come into your life? And slowly that joy that was supposed to be for you, that God intended for you, was taken away? Maybe a friend has come and has hurt you, or maybe family troubles have come into your life and they become too much to bear. Maybe the stress of school, work, friends, finances overtakes the security that God had intended for us. I mean, we can quickly become uh, trodden down by life, and we could lose the joy that Jesus Christ intended for us. And if that's not enough, like I said, the birds will come down, and they'll try to snatch whatever it can from us. He is the prince and power of this air, and this world is his. So we have to be in God's word. It has to saturate our hearts so that we can combat all the darts that the enemy will fire at us. We need to put on our spiritual armor to battle against the foe and of this world. Daily we must saturate ourselves in, this, in his word. We need to open this book so that we can hear his voice. We can read his promises. And we can strengthen our faith in order that we don't become hard or trodden down. Now, the second heart condition that we're going to look at right now is the rocky ground. So if we look at verse 5, it says that other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprung up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Now, Jesus explains here that these hearts receive the message. They receive the word. And when they do, they receive it with joy. They're glad for it. They're excited for it. The problem is, is that it doesn't sustain. Because there's stones that occupy the space of their heart. There are things in their heart that occupy the heart that, that take up room for the roots to grow. Stuff snuffs. Stuff snuffs. Now, Steve had a wonderful example, and I'm still thinking about it. And he said, here's the cross, and, and let's put this in front of it, and, and we'll put this, and we'll put this, and we'll put this, and all of a sudden, the vision of our cross is, is less because we put stuff in front of it. And that's what he's talking about here. The promises of God given to us through the Scriptures are never fully realized because the heart is too cluttered by other things. The seed of the gospel is not prominent in their hearts. And when trials come up in their lives, they wither away. They get scorched. And Jesus says in Matthew 13, 21, that they endure for a while. 
they endure for a while. Brothers and sisters, do you want to endure for a while? When the trials come, when they hit, when things get hard in life, is that what you want, to endure for a while? Or do you want to endure? When you get fired from your job, do you want to endure? When sickness comes into your family, do you want to endure? When marital problems happen, do you want to endure for a while or do you want to endure? Because if we want to endure, we have to remove all this stuff that's blocking the one thing that's going to help save us, the one thing that's going to carry us through the hardships and the trials so that we don't get scorched and wither away. See, having a bunch of stuff is not what God intends. Christ came that we may have life abundant in him, not stuff. Not stuff. Stuff won't bring us ultimate joy. It won't bring us ultimate peace. God is a jealous father, and he wants to be number one in our hearts. And we can't do that if we're putting stuff in our hearts and stuff before him. Now, the Gospel of Luke also adds that because of lack of moisture, the fruit is scorched. There's just no water to help sustain it. So how are we doing this morning? Are there stones in our hearts? Are there things in our lives, in our hearts, that's taking up space, that's blocking us from accepting, from leaning on, towards gravitating towards Jesus Christ and the gospel? Are our hearts cluttered with stuff, with worries? Is the seed flourishing in us? See, we need to have our stones broken up so that the gospel can take root. We need the seed to flourish so that we can continue to grow in faith. We need wisdom. We need grace in order to handle the persecutions that are going to come our way so that we don't endure for a while. We want to endure. We need to have soft, deep soil, not rocky ground. And concerning the lack of water that Luke speaks about, Jesus says in John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. Water is essential for our survival. We can go about three days before we start feeling the effects of lack of water in our lives. But with God, God provides the living water that we will not thirst again. And when the pressure around us boils up, we won't boil up in the inside. I mean, what's more important and what's more valuable in our lives than this living water? What do we want more? We could have him in us and this water in us to help keep us saturated so that we don't wither away. We will endure. God provides this living water. Now as we move to our third point, we're going to see the thorny ground. Verse 7 says that other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. So in this particular soil, there is growth from the seed, but the cares of the world and money come in and choke the word out of their hearts. See, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 22 that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches is what comes in and chokes the word out, and then slowly it just becomes unfruitful. So basically, idols take over, cares, worries. The gospel isn't number one in their hearts. And they're no longer producing fruit. Concerns, desires take over, and they become distracted. Now, 
we live in a world full of distractions. We live in a world of distractions that can easily turn in to the thorns of our lives. <laughs> it sounds like a soap opera. The thorns of our lives, right? That can easily happen. These thorns will come in and they'll invade our hearts. And they'll try to choke the seed out, causing our hearts to become less fruitful. And in these gospels, the synoptic gospels, these thorns are given to us. Matthew explains that one of the thorns is, is the cares of this world. The cares of this world. Now, these can include hobbies, school, work, leisure, politics. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, it's not a bad thing. But what, what gets a little bad is that when these things start taking over the gospel in our hearts, when we start caring more about that stuff rather than his stuff, that's when it becomes tricky. That's when the gospel starts getting snuffed out of our hearts. Another thorn that Matthew brings up is the deceitfulness of riches. Now, rich and being blessed with money is not the problem. It's the deceitfulness of the riches. It's the lie that you have more security in your pocketbook and your bank account than you do in Christ. That's the problem. It's, it's the problem that you are, are more comfort. You have more comfort in, in your financial uh, uh, stocks and, and where you are with that than you are in your precious father. There's the deceitfulness that we have to be careful of. Remember the rich man that Jesus said, hey, Come follow me. All you got to do is, is, is just leave your possessions. But he couldn't do it. It broke his heart. He couldn't do it. He fell prey to the deceitfulness of riches. We need to be careful of this. Now another thorn comes to us from Luke 8.14. And this thorn is just simply the pleasures of life. Now, this would be all the things that we can put in our lives that, would think, that we think would add to the amount of comfort and joy and pleasures in our lives. The material things that we bring into our lives and we find comfort and pleasure in them. But more so than the gospel and what Jesus can provide for us? See, these people put the physical before the spiritual. They become idols. The priorities of these people's hearts are not Christ-centered. Rather, they're self-centered. And the last thorn comes from Mark 4.19. And it says the desires for other things. Now, this thorn can really choke out a heart right here. This can really mess us up. Lust and the desires for other things begins with our eyes. It's what we see. And then it slowly gravitates towards our mind. And then it moves and invades into our heart and it corrupts it. We have to be extremely careful what we put before our eyes. James 1.15 reads that desires, when is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. All because of why? We looked at it. We wanted it. Then we started thinking about it. We started meditating on it. And then we make a decision to act on it. Be careful. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you desire. Don't let that turn into a thorn into your heart and choke out the, 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 the seed. Now, cares, riches, 
pleasures. These are all things that can come into our lives, and these are things that we can seek. We can seek this stuff. We can put this stuff in our lives. But Jesus says to seek first the kingdom. First. Seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. It doesn't sit there and say, hey, seek first to get all your financial matters in a line. Make sure that your house and your life is all in order. And then when you have time, come seek me out. That's not what he's saying here. He says to seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. If we're seeking first the kingdom, the soil of our heart will stay receptive and open to the seed because we're thinking correctly. We're not looking about how we can add pleasures into our lives. We're not thinking about that our life is not good enough. If I could only have this added to my life, my life would be better. No. Seek the kingdom first. In fact, I'm sure if Jesus were to talk to us, he would tell us the same that he told that rich man. Hey, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. And you'll have treasures in heaven. In heaven. What treasures do we have down here right now that's more valuable than the treasures that God will give us in heaven? What do you want to hold on to that we're not going to get tenfold better in heaven? Seek first the kingdom, brothers and sisters. Lay down your selfish desires and your wants. And it's me too. This is for me. Daily we are to pick up our cross. Daily we are to follow him. Not follow our wants. Not have our desires lead our thinking. Seek first the kingdom. When we seek the kingdom, the seed will grow to maturity in our hearts. And the fruit of the spirit will flourish in us. What would we give to have more love and joy and peace in our hearts? What would we give? How much better of a person would we be if we had more patience, if we had more kindness, more goodness, more gentleness, and self-control? How much better would it be if we looked into the needs of others rather than fulfilling our selfish desires? We have to seek first the kingdom if we want this fruit to blossom and to grow in us. Now, the last soil that we're going to look at this morning is the only soil that will produce lasting fruit. This fruit will not wither away, and it won't be scorched. There is moisture in this soil, and the fruit has the right environment to grow to full maturity. All the components are there, right? Just like we talked about that wonderful, delicious fruit that we like, the grapes, the strawberries, the bananas, the mangoes, right? It's all growing because everything was there. Same thing with the good soil. At verse 8, we see that other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, these people hear the message and they understand it. Mark says they, they accept it. And the Gospel of Luke says that they hold fast onto the word with a good and honest heart. And because of acceptance, because of understanding, because they're willing to hold on to it, they produce fruit. Not just a little fruit. It says a hundred times fold. That's a lot of fruit. Could you eat a hundred times fold of strawberries? I mean, that's a lot of strawberries to eat, right? Think of all the love that would blossom in your heart. That's a lot of fruit. Some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, 
I'm not saying that you have to be free of distractions and free of desires in order to be good soil. I'm not even saying you have to be a good person to have good soil. I know plenty of good people, but they don't accept Christ. So are they good soil then? Will the seed germinate in them? Just simply saying that if you want the gospel to be number one in your heart, you have to put it as number one in your heart. It has to be in the forefront of your mind. You have to be, have your heart beat towards that gospel. Accept it, understand it, and hold fast onto it. See, good soil just means that God's number one. And we need to remember that heart work is God's work. It's God's work. God's the one that prepares the heart of a person to understand and to accept it. <laughs> when I was lost, uh, before I was saved, I thought I was a good guy. Yeah, I coach kids, and I'm good, I'm kind, I don't mess with them, I try to encourage them. I'm good. I wasn't. I was a lost, wretched person lost in the dark. But God came in, and he worked in my heart. Deuteronomy 36 says, uh, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. It's God that comes into your hearts. It's God that will come in and circumcise your heart and get you to be soft, good soil. And guess what? He only doesn't do it to you, but he does it to your offspring as well, to your children, to your children's children. That's what he does. Why? Because he wants you to love him with all your heart. Don't have stuff in front of him. You can't love him with all your heart if you've got all this stuff blocking him. He desires you to love him with all all of it. Do you? It's only through grace of God that one's heart is cleared of the stones that could be taking up space. It was God that worked in me that helped remove stones from my heart. And it's only by his mercy uh, that the weeds are pulled out of our heart by the root. The root. I don't know if you guys garden, but if you ever had a weed in your garden, you can't just trim a weed down. You can't just cut it and mow over it and think that the weed's going to go away. That's not how it works. You have to pull that weed out by the root. You can't just walk around and say, yeah, well, I'm going to sin, but I'm going to sin less. I'm going to trim down on the amount that I sin, and I'll be okay. No, it doesn't work like that. We need it exterminated and pulled out by the root. Only God does that. God's mercy and God's love does that. It's his seed. He is the master gardener. Ezekiel 39.6 says, For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I want us to just focus on this for a moment. This astounds me. Behold, I am for you. The Lord and creator of this universe, the one who created the stars, the skies, the planet, everything. He puts it out there for us. Guess what? He is for you. He's 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 for me. And if he's for us, then who can be against us? And he sits there and says, and I will turn to you. Have you ever had anyone turn away from you in your life? 
Maybe it was a family member who you loved. Maybe it was a good friend. And they turned away from you. That's painful. It leaves a hole in your heart. I still have a hole in my heart. But that's not what God is saying here. God's saying that he turns towards us. He's not turning away from us. He turns to us. Why? Because he's for us. And what does he do? He tills our hearts. And he soils it so that we can become fertile ground. He circumcises our heart so that we can love him with everything that we got. It amazes me that he is for us and that he turns towards us. He is the master gardener and he gives us a new heart. And only he can remove the heart of stone that was once residing in our chest and instead give us a heart of flesh. Only the father can nourish the seed and bring forth growth. It's God that will bring changes in people's hearts and into their lives. It's not the sower. The sower had no effect on how much growth is going to come from the seed. The sower has no effect on how fast the growth is going to come. So if we are out there trying to sow seed, our job is just to speak. It's not our job to to, to make the change right then and there. It's not our job to hurry it up. Come on, grow. Keep growing. It's not our job. That's God's job. It's him that's going to bring about the change. So with all that being done, we're going to go into the application, our last and final point, the application. I've already given us plenty of applications, but we're going to finish with one more. And there's no better way that I can finish this message off by finishing the same way that Jesus finished. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Did you hear this morning? Did you hear? We talked about Satan our adversary, and how quickly and immediately Satan will come down to try to snatch the seed. Why? Because it wants to destroy hope. It wants to destroy uh, the growth of the gospel in people's lives. And he comes quickly. He doesn't want children of light. He wants children of wrath. Did you hear? We talked about the seed and how we have been born again through an incorruptible seed given to us through the word of Jesus Christ. Did you hear? We talked about living water, about how God provides the living water to us that we can be saturated, that we can be nourished, so that when troubles come and persecutions come and the hardships and trials come, we won't endure for a while. We'll endure. We won't wither away. We won't be scorched. We're watered and we'll never thirst again. Did you hear? And we discussed depth of soil and how stones may, we may put stones in our hearts. We may fall for, for the cares and the pleasures of this world and those thorns can grow and brew in our hearts and choke out the seed. Did you hear? See, this parable that Jesus spoke to the masses over 2,000 years ago is still very applicable to us today. It remains relevant in our daily lives. What kind of soil will we have for Christ's word? How deep will our love be for his seed? Is it deeper than our possessions? Is it deeper than our pockets and our bank accounts? Do we cherish the seed? Or do we cherish the cares of this world? 
Will we abide daily in his word? The Lord desires to abide with us. He is the master gardener. He wants us to be fertile soil. He turns to us. He tills us. He is for us. When we open up this book and we read and we take time to open up our hearts, we hear him. We learn from him. We delight in him. And we embrace all the things that he has to say and to teach us. So I would encourage us to open up your Bibles. Open the book more often. Have your heart tilled by the master gardener God. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are appreciative of this time and for this parable that you spoke 2,000 years ago, Father, and how applicable it is still in today's age. Lord, it is so easy to get caught up in distractions. It is so easy for our heart to deviate from your promises if we don't have our mind and our hearts set on you. Father, I pray that you would continuously work in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, till the soil of our heart. Give our heart more depth for the root of your seed to grow in us, Father, that we may flourish in the fruit of the Spirit, that we may be a blessing not only to those that are near us, but to others that we encounter throughout the day. Father, I pray that this message would be stirring in the hearts of those that are here I pray that we would have ears to hear, Father, and we come to you grateful that you are for us and that you turn towards us. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done and for your precious Son. It's in his name, Christ Jesus, that we pray. Amen.